This episode is supported by Bento Box and Clover. There's no doubt that running a restaurant is a lot of hard work. Fortunately, Bento Box and Clover are now working together to provide restaurants with the technology they need. Bento Box is an all-in-one platform for websites, online ordering, and marketing tools, while Clover provides world-class point-of-sale and payment solutions. Integrating the two helps restaurants streamline operations and deliver an even better guest experience. Bento Box and Clover, the right recipe for hospitality. Visit getbento.com forward slash better for more info. How can operators navigate a tough pricing environment? Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with Rich Shank, the Senior Principal with RB sister company Technomic, to talk about the impact of menu price inflation on restaurant consumers. Restaurants have been raising their prices aggressively this year as higher costs of food and labor eat into their margins. Menu prices are up 8% over the past year. But there are signs that consumers are starting to reject these price increases enough that Rich wrote in RB recently that operators may need to rethink their price increase strategy. Rich explains the consumer environment and how operators can offset their own higher costs without hurting their customer base. We also talk about another piece of data, the decline in restaurant use by the older and bigger baby boom generation and what that means for certain types of concepts. We're talking about pricing, demographics, and consumer traffic on a deeper dive, so please have a listen. All right, I am here with Rich Shank. Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. All right, tell the world of a deeper dive who you are and what you do. Yeah, so um, I'm a senior principal and vice president of innovation with Technomic. And uh, what Technomic does is we're a a food service research and insights company. We've been sort of exclusively focused on that space for 55 years. And I lead our restaurant operator practice and our innovation team, um, where we're predominantly looking at many innovation, pricing analytics, and customer strategy. Mm -hmm. So uh, the thing that I really wanted you to chat about, well, two things. But the first one is you, uh, we, you wrote a column for us yep. a couple of weeks ago on that saying, now is the time to rethink your pricing strategy. And I wanted to dive a little bit into that. First, I, I guess in, in uh, simple terms, why should companies start rethinking how they're pricing? How, what, why? Well, so we've gotten to the point um, in this sort of period of inflation where we've taken quite a bit of price as a market and we're we're getting to the ledge of of what consumers are able to do right financially essentially right so that's that's essentially was the lesson was you know we got to look for other ways of driving revenue you know and some some brands restaurants are going to be in a good position to continue to take price but many of them will not be and they may not know it yet and so it's a very important thing to do uh, in, in a variety of ways is to pay careful attention to what your customers can actually afford right now, what they're willing to spend and how it relates to your current pricing architecture. Cause it's um, and many, many of our partner companies have gotten to the point where they've taken the amount of price that their customers are willing to swallow without reducing their traffic significantly. Mm-hmm. Well, the numbers that I've seen roughly, you know, for the most part, on an individual company level and on, on a broad level, you know, kind of show that restaurants have been losing traffic year mm-hmm. over year. 
this year, not just yeah. com in comparison to where they were before the pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, my real concern right now for the industry is that pricing has masked a, a customer degradation. Yeah. And, and that companies in their bid to keep margins steady or at least not lose more. Well, I mean, a lot of most companies, even with raising prices are losing, you know, they're, they're seeing their margins then, but in their, in their bids to protect margins that they are, are seeing customer degradation. And, and then once, you know, if we hit a situation where there's going to be a recession, we might have a few companies that that uh, really have some real issues once once customers start going away that they they, they really have some problems. Yeah, I mean, the, I, if we do get into a full blown recession, which we're sort of teetering, I suppose, um, if you will, and um, there's always there's been good news and bad news every day around the economy that kind of give you mixed signals. But if we dip into that, there, it's going to shake loose some some brands that are maybe in a precarious position for sure. And 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 you're right to have that feeling that the pricing actions have been masking customer degradation is. As we've kind of written about before, uh, you know, the the demographics of the population aren't favorable for natural sales growth and traffic growth in general. And so we're sort of chasing after a dwindling share of uh, of mouths to feed, if you will. Right. So um, that there's that component there that's on top of the inflationary driven traffic pattern. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I mean, how 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 are they? How are, there's so much noise, I guess, right now in yeah. in so many numbers, and we still, to me, it seems that there's still like a lot of moving parts. We still have yeah. consumers returning to some semblance of normal, or or maybe we're in in many cases they are in a in a in a in a sort of different sort of normal state right now. We've had a lot of people move. You know, we've seen steep declines in 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 you know in commuting. Uh, that hasn't recovered. We still have a lot of people working from home. We still, you know, tend to be, you know, I mean, and there's still a lot of moving around people that ate out, you know, people that unleashed sort of pent up demand in 2021, sort of returning to a normal state in 2022. It can be kind of hard to read the numbers. So how do you know as a company that you've sort of getting to this line where your prices are, are driving customers away? Well, I mean, it, there's there's the sort of simple uh, price elasticity analysis they can do with their point point of sale data, which is you know looking um, looking at the relationship between their past pricing actions and total volume, and looking at relationships between products and so on, which they can do um, you know looking in, in, on a top line level uh, pretty simply. Um, there's some complex, more powerful ways of looking at that information, but it's also about talking to your customers and understanding how sensitive they are to pricing actions, right? Because there, there's the um, financial aspect of being able to afford a price, but there's a psychological aspect of noticing that the price has gone up dramatically, and that also has an impact on behavior. And so understanding where your customers' assumptions are about your pricing whether it's safe for you to move your pricing significantly in one chunk or whether it needs to happen a little bit over time, a little bit by bit, um, if you will, to sort of soften that psychological blow are important aspects of things. 
but it's also important to understand the price point at which your customers are going to turn away. And you can't tell that from your transaction data. You really need to talk to them about that and, and really get a sense of that on an item by item level. And so that's that's really just assessing the risk that you have to face. And, and in many in many cases, you'll find that some brands that your brand may have the brand power to continue moving forward um, because your customers are giving you permission to go beyond the eight or ten percent that you know you're sort of seeing in inflation right now. But the key question is: is have you already taken that ten percent or not? Right. And so you, you need to sort of really dig in and figure that out. A lot of people are are sort of acting out of fear right now rather than knowing full well what they should be doing. And this is just sort of pausing, taking some time to do your homework to to make sure you're not you know acting in a vacuum um, and just operating out of a fear that inflation is going to continue forward unabated. Right. 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 A lot of companies have, or there's been sort of this a uh, uh, broad assumption, and you can kind of see it in some data that you know that. It, the restaurant industry is part is 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 getting a, le- a little benefit because grocery prices have been yep. rise, rising um, more aggressively. Yeah, I get still a little bit concerned about that though because at the end of the day, it's still more expensive to eat out for the most part yep. um, than it is to eat at home and. I just think that what you might not necessarily, it might not always be so obvious is just sort of the way consumers are kind of changing what they do once they go eat out or yep. something like that. Cause people always have to eat, yeah. but they'll reduce spending. And, and, and that's really one where area where I think restaurants are particularly vulnerable because people can, and very frequently do um, in a recessionary environment uh, or near recessionary environment where uh, they will, sort of, you know, they'll trade down, they'll, you know, get fewer extras, they might not get a drink this time, they might really get less delivery or something like that. Yeah. And, and so I think there's a couple ways you can look at that. So it, it's if, if you're a restaurant that caters to middle income or lower consumers, uh, you will see that trade down effect happening. Um, and the brands that did really well during the last recession um, were the ones that were able to feed an entire family for very cheap. And the, the most obvious example of that would have been Little Caesars Hot and Ready, $5. It's only $5.55 today, right? So um, it, it's it's uh, still a pretty good value. You can feed four people for that. You know, that that's, but if you start looking at the average brand that doesn't necessarily rely on low to middle income consumers, there's a bit of a more nuanced story where it needs to be balanced between those value propositions and, and something that excites people to dine out because middle income and higher consumers aren't necessarily just trading down. They're sort of trading within in a, in a, in a variety of ways. And they're, and, they're, and they're preserving their dollars for something they deem as a little bit more special. So, um, and we've been telling the story that they, these folks maybe instead of going to dine out 10 times a week, this random number just to make for example sake but the uh, they may go down they and let's just say they spent ten dollars every time on, on average per person so a hundred dollars a week uh, now they may spend they may go out nine times a week but they could spend eleven dollars you know just and so they're they're saving a little bit of cash but their per person or per per occasion spend goes up because they're willing to spend on something a little bit more special at that moment. So in some cases they may even trade up, 
but um, but the in that sense, overall, their spending budget is going down, but their per occasion budget is actually preserved for something that's of higher quality. And so those brands that cater to the higher income consumer, while also finding value in some of their the you know the lower income customers through their value propositions, they continue to innovate around um, high high value uh, innovations and high value new menu items, things that drove check a little bit higher than before. Um, and you know, so there's that sort of barbell strategy that we've always been promoting for our customers, where uh, you know theoretically, if you're the average brand having a strong discounting program and a strong innovation service that's that's giving something of higher check to the to your menu is going to be crucial at this time because that's one way of introducing price to your menu without actually uh, raising prices on your core products. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, I want to shift a little bit to mm-hmm. uh, your your piece last week. Yeah, which uh, um uh, well, last week when it was this week, actually, yeah. when we, well, yeah, I don't know. Time has no meaning for me anymore. Anyway, <laughs> so, um, but the, I want to shift a little bit to, to your, your, your most recent one where you, we, where you talk about baby boomers and, yeah. and specifically, you know, that the older generation is, is acting just like every other generation as they've, uh, as they've retired. In, in that they are reducing their dining occasions, and that's something I think that we've been we've been looking at for a while, right? Uh, because we've seen this, and and this demographic issue might be a real problem. Yeah, I think for the industry because you've you've got this massive population that is going to be eating out less, and um, I don't think that younger generation i mean younger generations are going to replace it as much or well they're not uh, you know i i just think that it's going to be kind of an issue i think going forward yeah. what what's going to happen with that particular generation and, and what they do well if you think about i mean a metaphor there when i know i threw a bunch of them in that piece but like the it's like their demographic shifts are just like slow moving like the the earth's crust right and they they can bump up against each other and eventually cause an eruption and 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 i think we're at that point where um baby boomers have and we were there before the pandemic we the pandemic just masked this but it's also exacerbated it to a large extent because of the health issues that have come out of the pandemic because of early retirements with some people returning back to the bit to the to the industry and so on but it's it's the it's it's starting to come back to roost and become an important issue that we need to focus on and the what what's really occurring is that as you know uh, is when we talk about a restaurant's spender their biggest spender it's usually someone in middle in their middle age they have their employed they have a child at least one um, things of that nature and the reason why they spend more at restaurants is they have less time to cook they have more mouths to feed Um, they're trying to balance their home and work life the restaurants are a respite for that um, process and so they restaurants benefit from that lack of work-life balance in many ways for the midlife folks as people age and they age out of you know, they become empty nesters, there's fewer mouths to feed, there's more time in the day because they're starting to retire. Um, and so their time to cook, their, their, you know, their, their commute is not there anymore. So they don't necessarily have to be out and about, if you will, unless they want to be out and about. 
Um, and so just naturally they start dialing things back because of their lifespan is they're, they're, the things that are happening in that life in that life stage are changing. And that, and what happened with the baby boomers parents is they, you know, as they aged out of the market, you saw them dial back, but we had the growth of the baby boomers who entered their prime spending years, driving the growth of the market. And that we're going to lose the benefit of that as the baby boomers start to retire. My generation Gen X is too small to cover for them. Millennials are, are certainly a big group, but the people coming behind them are smaller um, in terms of size. And so the, the folks that are going to be entering their prime spending years, the percentage of the population is going to go down. And so that 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 um, is going to essentially drive growth expectations in the future. And it's already coming. It's already hitting us in our in our growth patterns now, essentially. Any sectors that should be concerned about this demographic shift? I mean, this has got to be a problem for casual dining and probably has been driving, I would suspect. Yeah. Um, might be an underappreciated factor in the decline of casual dining over the past decade. So if you, if, I mean, I think the closest corollary would be what happened to some mid-scale chains um, before with the older generations. And so, and the, and, you know, and they were, they knew who their customers were, but they weren't necessarily managing their, their, their customer base from an intergenerational perspective. And so I, I think it's your, to your point, some of the legacy brands in casual dining who really grew up with the baby boomers may experience that same thing if they don't reinvent themselves with the younger generation. But the balancing act here is they can't really do so in a way that alienates their original customers because it's it's a really big challenge here. Like you could go all in on Gen, Gen Z right now, but there's not enough of them if you rely on baby boomers for your check. Right. And, and so you have to figure out a way of, of exciting them while retaining the baby boomers um, the today. How can that's a good question? Like, that's a, a really good point. Like, how can a company like McDonald's and, you know, and, and pick any number of, of change up at the time? Like McDonald's is probably the best example. Um, be able to survive this generation shift because we see it all the time. Yeah, um, we, we, you know, we, we do see it all the time. Like, you know, uh, I mean, old country buffet just basically went under. Right. So okay. that was, you know, that was a, a, a concept that, you know, my mom's generation yep. and, and above really, really like, and that's gone. It's completely yeah. gone. And, you know, in your, your mid-scale chains that you mentioned, you know, you've seen some significant decline in a shift. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you got a company like McDonald's that just still keeps doing well year after year, generation yeah. after generation. And, and it's just fascinating that that some of these full service comp concepts can't really do what we yeah. see at fast food. I think McDonald's does a really good job of uh, of reinventing itself in, in some ways. I don't know how successful it's going to be, but there's this new happy meal promotion they're doing now that's kind of tied in more uh you know with, with uh and and so but that's that's an attempt of reinvention right so whether it's successful or not i don't know i i was joking with our colleague Lori that i may i i'm i've just dated myself because i was like what in the world is this thing right and and then I, after looking it up i was like oh i see what they're doing they're going you know but the um, you know so i was like i've just aged myself into irrelevancy but that mcdonald's is 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 one of those places where they've able to reinvent themselves with kids and the happy meal program 
you know, has evolved over the years and it's kind of come and gone in different iterations. And that, that's part of that, but you know, the it's, they've, I think that's partially why you see them staying relevant. Um, they're so large, they have their own cyclical pattern anyway. So, but they, they, they have the marketing smarts and the muscle to be able to make, pull those levers. I think that marketers in the industry over, not just in casual dining, tend to narrowly focus on one generation and, you know, the, and I'm almost hyper-targeting, like our core customer is left-handed and is in the, you know, 24 to 17 or 24 to 27 years old. And, you know, that's, or and drives a Prius or whatever, that's your, you know, like you're, you're just conforming to the, the average in that sense. It's not your only customer. And if you don't pay attention to, um, you know, other segments in your customer base, you might be missing something. And I think McDonald's does a good job of segmenting their customer base and planning for, for their lifespan, if you will, because their, their needs are going to shift as they age. Um, they're going to become parents after they've had your happy meals. They're going to become grandparents after they've introduced their kids to your brand, you know, those sorts of things. And, and so how you manage your customer base throughout the lifespan is, is I think what McDonald's is good at um, sort of taking customer lifetime value almost very literally. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the happy meal box you're talking about is the cactus plant. Yep. Yes. The cactus plant flea market box. No, I didn't have any idea. I still barely know what they are. It's a streetwear yep. brand and I don't even, don't even ask me what a streetwear brand is, but yeah. what kids wear. But it comes with this. You can see this. This is a four-eyed hamburger, which you can't see on the podcast. But and uh, and I mean that's a great point. It's sort of like kind of tapping into nostalgia for McDonald's. Yeah, and Happy Meals, and they've been able to, you know, I mean, they're marketing right now actually very much on point. Um, well, and 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 I I don't know what the rev share is there, but it's one hundred and thirty dollars for a sweatshirt. So it's just oh, my God. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that just really brings out the old man in me when I think one hundred and thirty dollars yeah. for a sweatshirt. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Well, that's one way of driving check average, and it's it's away from your it's away from your core menu. And uh, if you can sell ten of those things, then maybe maybe you can cover your uh, inflation. I guess, but like man, they all sell. Like in my opinion, like McDonald's should pay me for the. For the for having me wear their shirt, that's my well, opinion. Well, you have this podcast, so I think that that's, there's a, there's a tie in there. I am yes, I am a, a, apparently a slight celebrity, but like I <laughs> anyway. But I mean, I think the key the key element here for for brands, if they're going to be able to survive this, yeah, is is they're going to have to reinvent themselves for a younger consumer, or they're going to have to figure out a way to get older people out out yeah. of the home and that's kind of that that would seem to be i don't know how do you do that that's kind of I, well i so i think i mean there's going to be youth oriented brands that do very well and they're going to they're going to rise on the excitement of those new brands and they're going to be stealing share away of away from the core legacy restaurants right and you see that with emerging independence in every city all the time um, if you will, uh, but the, for, for the older, older consumer, it may not necessarily be getting them out of their home. It may be, uh, closing the digital divide in the, in the ordering patterns that are happening for delivery and takeout on the digital platforms. There's a pretty wide gap between how frequently 
older consumers are using those platforms than the younger consumer, but they all still, they all have the same iPhones, the same Android phones, you know, and, and so there, I think there's going to be a, a need for that uh, in a in, a, in there, but the restaurants are going to have to figure out ways of, of solving for um, the user experience. That's not just satisfying the younger consumer on those platforms. It's going to need to be accessible to the older adult, you know, soon as I hit 40, my eyes started going. So, you know, like the, the, the they're going to have to take that into consideration if they want to keep me in their app. Right. So, you know, that, that that's, uh, that's, I think one example. And I don't think that happens often enough today because you're, we tend to be uh, solving for the next customer rather than the current. Yeah. Yeah. Large type phone apps is probably the key <laughs> element yeah. going forward or, you know, things that talk louder. <laughs> yeah well we'll all have well we're all going to have hearing aids that tie directly into our bluetooth so yeah probably um, yeah 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 it's inevitable rich this was fantastic really appreciate you joining me this week on the podcast oh i'm glad to be here thanks for having me and that should do it for this week's episode of a deeper dive which was edited as always by kimmy kazmarek Artwork by Nico Hines. You may find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you find your fancy listening shows. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. This episode is supported by Bento Box and Clover. There's no doubt that running a restaurant is a lot of hard work. Fortunately, Bento Box and Clover are now working together to provide restaurants with the technology they need. Bento Box is an all-in-one platform for websites, online ordering, and marketing tools, while Clover provides world-class point-of-sale and payment solutions. Integrating the two helps restaurants streamline operations and deliver an even better guest experience. Bento Box and Clover, the right recipe for hospitality. Visit getbento.com forward slash better for more info.